Okay, John LeBond here on the 28th of December 2016 for Dino Skeptics Live, episode number four. And I've got with me my partner in crime, old Lucas Cullen from Bitcoin Brisbane. How are you today, mate? Yeah, the resident Noemi. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Uh, pretty good. We survived the Christmas period with my family. Um, so we've got through that. Let's be honest, there was a few distractions there, but we got a little bit of research done. Um, but how did you enjoy the and the banter? I did enjoy Christmas uh, very much. It was a pleasure to be there with your family. And uh, for the most part, I thought when the topic of this road trip and uh, Dino Skeptics documentary came up, most of them seemed fairly open-minded. Yeah, I think that's uh, fair. Um, tried to pitch, uh, pitch it quite, quite a bit, tried to see, uh, shake the tins, see if we get a few dollars in for the drone as well. don't know if we got too many bites, but uh, here's the hoping. And I did wake up this morning and watch uh, a couple of little videos from John LeBon uh, talking about Terry the Dinosaur and Rambo, as his name is. Yes. Well, do you want to tell the story behind uh-huh. Rambo the sheep? Oh, well, it was just, a, I guess, an orphan sheep. Uh, my parents found him, took him in. Uh, so, yeah, giving him a good home. And, uh, yeah, now hangs up the, the back paddock of the parents, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, nice little interview from, from Rambo. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that for those who haven't watched it so far? Well, so what happened was I was invited to your family's Christmas, which was very nice of you to do that. Obviously, all of my family are in Melbourne, which is where I grew up, and now I'm up here in Brisbane. And since I'm staying at your place getting ready for this road trip, uh, you said, why don't you come to our Christmas, to the uh, Lucas family Christmas? And I said, sure, why not? I will. And I did. And we ended up getting a little bit carried away, ended up staying there the night, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, you and me and uh, one of your brothers and uh, actually quite a few people ended up staying over. Yep. It was uh, quite a Christmas. And then the very next morning, I noticed that the uh, the pet uh, sheep or the, Ram. the the orphan sheep, if you like, was all by himself out in a paddock. And I thought I'd go and have a quick interview with him. And he started giving me lots of reasons as to why it's wrong to question science, just like a classic sheep. And so I made a video about that to promote this episode of Dinoskeptics Live. But you, you wouldn't have seen this morning. That's right. So pity we didn't, uh, <laughs> pity there were no pigs, I guess, to uh, interview, but um, no, well, the sheep will have to do, hey? So yeah, a pleasant little surprise. I think uh, Rambo did a good job, just quietly asked the hard questions. Well, he gave me all the same responses I've heard from so many people as to why it's wrong to question science. And that's why in this episode today, actually, one of the things I want to talk about is, firstly, scientists are supposed to question science. Secondly, some of them do. And thirdly, there's nothing wrong with us doing that as well, so long as we're willing to read the scientific papers, engage with the official story. There's nothing wrong with questioning science, and only a sheep, Lucas, could possibly argue otherwise. What say you? Yeah, excellent questions. Uh, so I think science is all about questioning, right? So hypothesis, um, you know, do the research, put it to the community, um, you know, make your assertion uh, whether you accept or reject the hypothesis and um, put it to the community that, to then re- to review your work and see if they can, one, replicate the experiment or come to the same conclusions as yourself. So I think that's, I guess, in my words, what the scientific method is all about. But uh, if you've got a better interpretation, I always love to hear it. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. So what I'm thinking is today we'll just have a quick uh, rundown of the three episodes that have come so far. Then we'll talk about a little video that you recorded on the old uh, set-top box of David Attenborough bringing a dinosaur to life, and we'll discuss briefly the fact that most people, their interpretation of the outlets like that so-called documentary by David Attenborough. 
Then I want to talk a little bit about Lark Quarry because the age of Australian Dinosaurs Museum is going to be, the, I guess, the centrepiece of this trip. But nearby is a place called Lark Quarry, which is just as significant for a whole number of reasons. And I'll talk about the fact that there are some scientists, so-called scientists anyway, who are disagreeing about the, uh, I guess, the way that that whole place came to be. That'll all make more sense when we get to that segment of the show. And then you wanted to talk a little bit about a new dinosaur that was discovered in Queensland recently. Yeah, so as I've mentioned on previous uh, episodes, there's three uh, sites out near Winton. Winton's kind of the the middle of them, but they call it the Dinosaur Trails. So down to the southwest is the Lark Quarry. Directly north is Richmond, and across to the uh, northeast is a town called Hewingdon. So uh, as we were doing a little bit of research last night, it came apparent that the... uh, the site at Richmond has, is also famous for a dinosaur called the Cunbarosaurus, um, discovered in this, or they released the findings in December 2015. And it is actually uh, uh, a relative to the Ankylosaurus, and it's Australia's, they not only found a new uh, species, but a new genus as well of the Ankylosaurus. So if we remember back to episode one or two, if memory serves me correctly, we made the analogy of little Vegases popping up out in the desert where each casino is trying to outdo each other. And lo and behold, uh, seems to fit with our hypothesis, uh, the museum uh, expansion or explosion in the uh, far west of Queensland. What say you? Well, that's we couldn't have picked a better place to go to check out the official story of dinosaurs in Australia because this is the epicentre. Queensland is the hotspot. Winton is the middle of all of this. So there's not just one group of people finding dinosaurs. More or less anybody who walks outside is finding a dinosaur in Queensland. So that's what this trip is all about. And so with that said, let's get into a quick overview of the road trip and the film because it never hurts to go over this a few times, make sure we've got everything down pat. We'll get that elevator pitch going, shall we, Lucas? If someone said to you, say you were sitting around a Christmas uh, salad and one of your brothers were to ask you, what, what's the point of this road trip, Lucas? What are you and this dude with the beanie who you've brought to our family Christmas? What the hell are you doing out there? What would you say? Yeah, excellent question. So uh, we're going to say, well, we're going to, we've heard about these dinosaurs out in the outback of Queensland, um, pretty close to the central of Australia, actually. Um, there's some claims uh, out there that these, there are new species of dinosaurs that are being uncovered all the time. That old David Elliott, the luckiest man in Australia, so to speak, has found not one but three of these dinosaurs. My boy, old Davy Elliott. Yeah, not only dinosaurs, new species and new genus as we're discovering. So you know, it's a it's a hot pot of dinosaurs. So if anyone's got any inkling about don- or any interest about dinosaurs, you know, for the sake of a twelve hour trip out there, let's uh, let's go out there and have a look and you know get to look at the site firsthand, get to review the evidence, get to ask the questions. Like you mentioned on the uh, around the Christmas table, you like to talk to people up front, see how they react to the questions, see their mannerisms and body language, and you know if if uh, if they've got nothing to hide, then they should be you know forthcoming. Invite us back to the Winton uh, that Tattersall pub for a few froffies, and uh, yeah, talk all day about dinosaurs. So if that would be my hypothesis on how it should go, but if there's a little bit of resistance there, well, hey, why wouldn't you want to talk about these? beautiful, magnificent creases from the, the early Cretaceous period. Exactly right. I mean, if David Elliott is there, Stephen Pyropat, Scotty Hucknell, if any of them are there, All the beers are on me at the, is it the Tattersall's pub? Is it in, the Tattersall, yeah. And we yeah. we've actually might have a, uh, a contact out there. So I might not disclose the name just yet, but let's just say if uh, 
it's a small town. They probably know each other. Um, I've got a phone number from a family relative who's a Facebook friend. Um, he's replied back and said, yeah, if we're out at Winton, give him a text and a froppy. So there could be a, uh, a cameo from a uh, Winton local on this trip. Well, don't give away too much just yet, but uh, that does sound exciting. But I'm saying this quite seriously. If David Elliott, uh, Stephen Porropad or Scotty Hutton, if any of those three are in town when we get there, I'll be more than happy. The beers are on me. We'll just go down to the pub and have a chat. I've got lots of questions. I've got plenty of notes here. We can uh, just go through their story because if they have done what they claim to have done, if they've found 60 slash 70 plus million year old creatures just lying around in the hub Queensland, that's pretty amazing. I think the least we can do is buy these boys a frothy. What do you reckon? Oh, I reckon so. And you know, what is another way people can get involved and ask questions? Well, we'll get to that later in the show. You know how these things work. We so will, that's, that's a nice little bit of pitch. Mine is very simple. It is this. There's a bunch of dudes in the middle of Queensland, scientists, experts, and they've found several species of dinosaur. And I want to go out there and inspect their evidence for myself because that's what science is supposed to be about. It's about empirical observations. Can you see it? Can you touch it? What can you make of it? Let's just go out there, ask these guys some questions and see how well their story holds up to the scrutiny from the late, from the public, from a layman, rather than one of their peers. And generally their peers are in the same industry. So there's almost like a conflict of interest when you find yourself in topics like dinosaurs and paleontology. Well, how much can you really say about someone else potentially uh, misinterpreting their data? If uh, it's possible, they can say the same thing about you and all the rest of it. We'll get into all of that later. But how about just from the public, from a layman, someone who's not a dinosaur uh, lover, not a dinophile, just a regular person, going out there asking them some questions, what's the harm? And since it is a 1,400-kilometre trip there and back, why not make a film about it, taking in the, I guess, um, the great scenes and sights of Australia, uh, that part of Queensland, on the way there and back, Australiana, maybe pop into some pubs and make a feature-length film about two guys going out there to a dinosaur uh, hotspot and asking some questions. It's been interested in what we're doing. We'll be watching the whole thing as it goes. We'll be updating videos every day. A new update every day while we're on the road. We've taken care of the internet to make sure that we can upload a little bit every day so people can stay updated with the trip. And it'll basically be the first time that I'm aware of, Lucas, where people, people, me, a person on YouTube, who is a little bit sceptical of some of the claims made by scientists, has actually gone out there to inspect the official story for themselves without presupposing told the truth of the being told lies. Let's just go out there and see the evidence. As far as I'm aware, Lucas, this will be the first time that anyone has done that from this entire online scene, if you like. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like I said before, we're yeah, putting in the hard work. Um, we're doing the Dinoskeptic shows. This is episode number four. And um, normally this is time we shout out and ask, how's the audio too, which you've uh, missed out today. But we've uh, we've actually been setting up a little bit. Each, you know, each time we go, we're trying to improve the show as well. So we've got some... Uh, some good footage of this that will be in the extras reel. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's like I said, we're probably the first YouTubers to go out there. Let's make a, an objective documentary. Um, let's let's uh, hit it from both sides, the sceptic and the normie. And, uh, yeah, let's try and make a good little 90-minute feature film. Well, there was a good question from the live chat. We've got a screen set up behind, I guess, where you would think the fourth wall. And uh, the question comes from Alex Quant. He said, this is obviously being recorded live, broadcast live, etc. Alex Quant in the live chat says, JLB open-minded or tending towards disbelief about dinosaurs? That is a good question. There are supposedly more than 500 species of dinosaur that have been discovered so far. The funny thing with that, though, is that you get different answers from every different person you speak to. There's no 
so far as I can tell, there's no central authority who have to tick off on each new dinosaur as it comes along. It's more of a, well, here's a paper. It's gone through the peer review process. This is now basically a dinosaur. There's no central authority or committee on these things. So you won't get a single answer on how many dinosaurs there are. But I did find an expert from Britain who claims there's just over 500. So out of those 500, how many are real and how many are fake? I have no idea. I'm more interested in these particular dinosaurs, Lucas, in the middle of Queensland, because these are ones where I'll be able to go and see the evidence for myself. And I don't want to say I tend towards belief or disbelief, but I'll say this. I am very skeptical, Lucas. How would you answer Alex Con's question from the live chat? He says, uh, open-minded or tending towards disbelief about dinosaurs. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, I guess the skeptic takes assume nothing until proven otherwise um being a bit of a normie i'm taking the other approach of well this has been brought up this is apparently peer-reviewed science this is in pop culture uh, popular literacy so i'm going out there thinking the official narrative is true um so i hopefully get to see some beautiful specimens from you know 900 million years ago uh, 90 million years ago sorry um but if there you know but there could be a there could be some other things that we find out. Maybe they're embellished on the on the uh, on the story. Maybe dinosaurs are real, but maybe these ones aren't. Maybe this is a tourist, uh, yeah, a tourist money maker, or maybe you know, like I said, they are exaggerating on their finds or their claims, or the official story doesn't quite check out. So, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm willing to go out there and, and have a look and be um, objective, but I'm probably taking the position of, you know, that this is uh, a legit find, and let's go out there and see some beautiful new Australiana species are you know, being uncovered as, as, as they find them. So I guess a summation would be then that uh, I'm going out there. I've had a YouTube channel now for a couple of years, and especially over the last 12 or 18 months, I've really focused on this idea of what is the official story. No matter what the topic is, whether it's a media event, a claim made by science, a claim made by another YouTuber, whatever the case might be, what is the actual evidence and let's go from there, which once upon a time I thought was how everybody worked. They just looked at the evidence and then made up their minds. Yeah. As I've come to read more about social psychology and, I guess, personal psychology, the way that humans work, I've come to understand that's actually not how most people work. They have worldviews or they have preconceived beliefs. Then they will accept the evidence they think supports it. They will reject or ignore the evidence that doesn't. Most people aren't anywhere near as rational as we might like to think that they are. So that's the attitude I'm taking towards everything I do on YouTube. Let's look at the evidence. I'll go and find the evidence. I'll spend dozens and dozens of hours reading books like this one here that I got from the Queensland Museum. This one here that I got from my mate Lindsay, which I was showing off on the last episode. I'll go and read the books. I'll do the research. I'll find out what the official story is. Then I'll encourage you guys to make up your mind. Hopefully go and do your own research. And then maybe at the end, I'll give you my take on the evidence as well. So I'm going out there saying... These experts can say these dinosaurs are real. That doesn't mean that I believe it. You know, and people on YouTube can say that all, all dinosaurs are I'm going to go and look at the evidence and then make up my mind. You're probably coming at it from the perspective, Lucas, of maybe you think that most of the time uh, scientists are telling the truth or are being honest, and maybe they are. That might be the case. So I guess there's a bit of a difference there. You might call me the, the skeptic. I don't want to use the term ultra-skeptic, but I would be the skeptic what would you describe yourself as if not a skeptic? Yeah, like, like I tried to say before, just I guess the probably the average normie, as you call me, average person, um, takes the 
literature and you know the documentaries and the evidence put forward on face value, uh, and t probably don't look that much into the official narrative as, as you do. So um, probably haven't read as much uh, papers as you. But again, open you know open to that uh, to ch changing my mind and knowing the scientific method. And if that is a scientific method, then holding them accountable to that method. So have they done their science uh, uh, rigorously? Yeah, that's a fair call. And I guess we should also reiterate for the listeners and for the viewers, this is being recorded on video as well, that this wouldn't be happening, regardless of your take on dinosaurs, this wouldn't be happening if it weren't for you because we are broadcasting live from the Chateau Lucas here in Brisbane. You pitched this whole idea to me many, many months ago. And uh, you said uh, a bit more recently, why don't you come and stay at my place for a week or two before we go, give you time to do all the research you want and, um, you know, take it easy, really focus on the film, which is what I've been doing. You as well, but to a lesser extent, you're a busy man, you're a family man and you've got your own career and what have you to focus on. But I've had time to do what I need to do to get the research done. And it was, uh, it's you who's organised the van that we're taking to do this trip as well. So logistically and even conceptually, uh, this entire road trip and film uh, has you to thang your head. So even if some people who listen to this or who look at the final product without knowing what that's all going to be in the end, anyone who might say that they wish that you were more sceptical, uh, if that is the criticism that comes your way later, they need to bear in mind that anything that happens from this point, you have uh, played a large role in it happening, Lucas. And I need to reiterate that because you should have, should have seen this guy, the Christmas thing. It was like, hey, uh, Lucas, that mate of yours, he, I don't think he believes in, in dinosaurs, man. What's, what are you saying? And Lucas was just doing the old, oh, well, I, he's, look, he's a mate of mine. We like to play poker and, and sing frothies and, and watch the footy. But this dinosaur thing, it's, it's his idea. You were kind of washing your hands a little bit, weren't you? Oh, that's your interpretation, mate, not yeah. mine. So uh, we'll never know. We'll leave that one, uh, we'll leave that one up to the, to the memory, just like the... Uh, the core player shows, hey? <laughs> can I can I say this? One of the members of your... It was a terrific family, by the way. Like, you really are very blessed, I think, especially the, the spread that was put on. A nice little tuna dish as well, oh, yeah. which I... Uh, I missed out on the seconds on that one. I'm not very happy about yeah. that. But uh, there was one person from the family in particular who at first, I think, didn't quite get my whole sceptical shtick. But then when we started talking about how all of the people, many of the people on the board of this Age of Australian Dinosaurs Museum are mayors of the town... We started to understand there might be what I would call a conflict of interest, a potential conflict of interest. That's when I think the penny started to drop that maybe, just maybe, there's more than meets the eye with this whole Winton dinosaur thing going on. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting. I even sat with my old man, who's probably uh, you know, he's up nearly 70 now, just a pretty typical Australian bloke. Uh, even he started to throw in the banter and a few of the jokes and uh, whether it was... Uh, you know how uh, how how, how uh, legitimate he thought that was or not, but even he was uh, starting to have a poke at these uh, these guys out at Winton. So um, I found that interesting too, just the uh, the family dynamic as the frumpy started going on. The uh, maybe the different uh, different opinions uh, started coming out. Um, let's be honest, a pretty open and honest opinions by the end of the night. So yeah, even that was a interesting conversation. But one thing I did notice is no one was. Uh, no one was slamming in the fist saying, hey, this is, this is wrong. These guys are crazy. Let's shut this down. And everyone was like, hey, guys, go out there and do what you got to do. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, pat on the back, support us the whole way. Yeah. Did you notice, though, that I was smart enough to pick my battles? I didn't really go into too many other controversial areas of discussion, not because I didn't think that they were interested or able to have that kind of conversation, but I think you need to be smart. If you're going to have views that are against or different to the mainstream, you need to know how to pick your battles. 
And since they were always going to know that we were doing this road trip and doing this film, that was a battle that was already chosen. There was no need to choose too many more battles to, uh, to pick. So I think I walked away. Hopefully, they get an idea. And uh, because I did wear the old beanie the whole summer as well, I'm sure I came across as a little bit eccentric and uh, maybe he's one of those artsy hipster, you know, dickhead types. And hopefully that was enough to sort of make it all seem uh, fairly straightforward. Well, no one was calling you arty and hipster, so... No? <laughs> Good, because I'm not. So, yeah, so there we go. So we'll just give a recap of the previous episodes. We should have done this at the start, but episode one, we just gave an overview of ourselves, how we came to know each other, how we came to be doing this film, etc. Episode two, we talked about the official story of Winton, which is, of course, the town where all of this is happening. And then in episode three, you gave us an overview of the logistics, when we're leaving, what towns we'll be staying in, how long the whole trip will take, the reason why we're going to the different venues, etc. My hope for this episode is to spend a bit of time talking about Lark Quarry, which is the second. I think it's the second. If you had to rank the three areas in terms of importance, I would argue that this is the second most important, at least for me. But it's still very significant because, as you said earlier on, there are three points in and around Winton that uh, are very important for the whole story of dinosaurs in Australia. So I want to talk a little bit about Lark Quarry. And in particular, a little thing that's going on between some of the experts out there who are disagreeing about exactly what Lark Quarry signifies and use that as a basis for a discussion about science more broadly. So with that said, let's get into that now then. Science, the topic of science. What is science? What is the scientific method? I want to give you my take on the difference between science and the scientific method, and then I want you to tell me how I'm wrong, Lucas, if at all. Science and the method are different. I would argue that science these days is really more of a belief system. People believe in science. Science gave me my computer. It gave me TV. It gave me long health because people used to die young, all this kind of stuff, right? They believe in science. They have faith in science. But the scientific method is a method or it's a system for trying to understand the world in which we live. So when someone like me says, I want to question science, what I mean is there are people who call themselves scientists who I think might not be using the scientific method the way that it was taught to me, the way that I understand it. The scientific method is simply you observe things, you want to try and understand more about these things, you hypothesize about them, you make predictions, you go and test these hypotheses, these predictions, you keep refining your observations and your measurements and these kinds of things and hopefully come up with a broader theory to explain what's going on. And so long as that theory is falsifiable, or your hypotheses are falsifiable, you might be doing some proper science. And so whether it's learning how fast things fall to the ground or why this electrical current has this effect on the metal filings around it, these kinds of things, these are things that we can test empirically, that is, with our senses, with our sight and with our touch and these sorts of things, and we can come to understand the world around us. That is very different to what we now call science, which basically involves a whole bunch of beliefs about everything from how we began, how humans began, how the universe began, what lives with us, why it lives with us. Science encompasses a whole bunch of things, but I think there's quite a distinction between the scientific method, which I think is pretty cool and pretty useful, and what we now call science, which to me is every bit a religion, Lucas. What say you? Yeah, you've uh, often mentioned this on a lot of your videos, and I think you're 100% right there. My background, uh, I do have a science background, but it's actually in mathematics, so it's actually a very, very rigorous progress. For something to become a formal proof takes, you know, uh, tens of years. Um, you know, some, some things are stuck in the lemma state. So there are four, four stages of becoming a, a, a concept or an idea to an actual proof. Um, 
so when I hear about the other sciences, something that's just known and, and yeah, like like even last night we watched that David Attenborough video, they found one little shape difference of the bone on the uh, thigh and they said, well, this has to be now a new genus. So just one little premise there forms a whole new scientific fact in what seems to be a very uh, easy process to the, you know, to, to people who haven't studied that. Like I said, so from, from mathematics, it's actually very, very hard to become a proof. But it seems these pseudosciences um, put forward a claim, two or three people review the paper and what say you, it comes out as a, you know, full scientific fact. Like there's no even scientific theory or all rationale. It's just a scientific fact straight away. So that's one thing I've found um, doing the, uh, yeah, having, having a dig around. If you look at the Wikipedia talk, um, for those who don't know, Wikipedia talk is conversations behind the Wikipedia page that discuss um, between the authors um, ideas so if you had a look through the Wikipedia talk on the reptilia, um, there seems to be only two or three people actually arguing the case for and against. And if you look at one of the authors, he self-proclaims uh, not even to be a paleontologist, just a uh, philosopher who couldn't get a job and who's now rewriting, literally rewriting history on um, genuses, uh, et cetera, of birds where they fit within the whole uh, kingdom tree, if that's the word for it. So I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'd like to get a mathematical proof out there just of uh, two or three people. Hey, John, I checked this out. What do you reckon? Yeah, it should be right, mate. Uh, looks good to me. Uh, let's, let's write it in Wikipedia. So I, I found that very interesting. Um, yeah, and like I said, it's not, not my expertise, not my field, uh, but just as an observer who's being trained in the math science, I found it very, uh, very loose, very uh, easy to uh, get these things across the line. Yeah, well, I did kind of skip the Attenborough thing. We'll make that the next segment because I wanted to get this uh, conversation of, of science and what it is down pat before we look at what is passed off as science in the mainstream media. So if I can just reiterate what I was saying again, a little bit more clearly, there's the scientific method, which I support and which we might be able to engage in to some extent out there at Winton, especially because they do open up their, um, their dinosaur excavation uh, warehouses to an extent to let people come in, check out the dinosaur bones, the place that we're going to in Winton, you can even drill for the bones. They have these big chunks of rock, and they say, yeah, you can drill for the bones yourself. You can find your own dinosaur bone. It's one of their uh, advertising or marketing, um, I don't say gimmicks, but that's part of how they market themselves. Anyone can come and find a dinosaur at Winton at the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum. So we can use our site, we can use our touch to observe what is being passed off as dinosaur bones. To me, that's all, to me, that's the way it should be. That juxtaposes with science where a lot of people these days, if you even suggest that it's possible, just say hypothetically you suggest it's possible that maybe dinosaurs didn't roam the earth, you will get a visceral reaction. To me, no different to if you're dealing with uh, literal, you know, Bible literalists, people who believe that Jesus walked on water and Mary gave birth to a virgin and these sorts of uh, strong religious beliefs. If you've been around people who do hold the Bible dear or do hold religious beliefs dear, you just don't challenge them on it because they're not going to react well. It usually doesn't go very well. They usually start to see you as an enemy for one reason or another. Not always. I've met many lovely Christians who are not like that at all, but we all know those kinds of people who this is not something you can discuss with them because it's definitely true. Of course it's true. It has to be true. Of course these things happened. But that's how most people today, I think, especially younger people, are when it comes to what we call science with things like dinosaurs. What do you mean dinosaurs didn't exist? hundred million years. Like, of course they, like, are you, are you joking? 
Is this a joke? Are you joking with me? Of course, we know they did. What is wrong with you? You see, like what kind of agenda are you trying to push that you would even question that? And there we can see that contrast between what the scientific method is but how most people see science today. And so you're talking about, you know, you've worked, you've done a lot of study in mathematics where a proof has to be rigorous. It has to be a proof for it, you know, without getting into a discussion about what is logic and what is the difference between maths as a science and is it a science? And, you know, they teach, they teach maths in the science department in many universities. Without getting into that kind of debate, the idea here is that two plus two equals four. And if you can prove that, that's a proof everywhere. That's not really how paleontology or archaeology or many of these sciences work. It seems like a very small group of people can give their interpretation of a very small set of data, and until someone else comes along and challenges it, that becomes the truth. Yeah, excellent. So um, we do have 30 listeners in the show, and I was just actually looking at a few questions as we go along. So do we want to quickly run through a few questions? Or go do for we it. Get straight into it. Alex did host so before throw up there how, um, how the film is being funded. So just hang around, Alex, and I'm sure we'll give a bit of a plug at the end how you can be involved. Um, what else have we got up there? Um, math is a way to explain shit that cannot be explained in any other way. Probably in, in comment, not, not much of a question. Uh, museum uh, in Brizzy got into touch to take some samples, but they couldn't. They could do some precision... Sorry, I can't really read on that screen. Moto Toxin, who actually lives up on the sunny coast, he says, Museum in Brizzy got in touch to take some samples so they could do some more precision paper mache. And I think what he's doing is um, mocking the way that dinosaurs are actually reconstructed That's for right. the museum. But Moto Toxin up there in the sunny coast, good dude. I've mirrored uh, some of his videos, nice guy. We'll take some notes. We'll write down your questions while we go and we'll read them out. Uh, as we go along. Now, the reason I wanted to bring up the science aspect of things is because I think most people, especially with dinosaurs, Lucas, they get their conceptualization of what dinosaurs are from the mainstream media. And a good example of that was uh, brought home to me last night. In fact, you and I spent a bit of time watching a David Attenborough dinosaur documentary. Do you want to give the good viewers at home an idea of what it was that we were watching uh, on your big screen, and your big 4K screen, what on earth were we watching? Yeah, so the the title is a BBC production from the UK. It um, came out in 2016 called Attenborough and the Giant Dinosaurs. So apparently they did a dig in Argentina, um, found a complete skeleton. And they did some casts of those uh, bones did some 3D modelling of it, worked out um, how it puzzled together, um, found a large shed to then uh, reconstruct the um, cast of the bones and finale with the whole then 3D modelling of this dinosaur and moving around as a uh, as a CGI-created uh, uh, beast. Um, and, yeah, that, that was pretty much it then drawing to the conclusion of this was a new uh, Totanosaurus, um, found in Argentina. Yeah, so basically, because you'd, you'd seen this on TV somewhere else. Well, no, I, where... I hadn't actually. Oh, so I, hadn't. St- I started recording it, and uh, I think I sent you a text and said, uh, flick over your channel to, uh, it was on like, uh, Channel 9 or whatever. I said, no, flick over Channel 9 now, but I didn't actually get to watch it. So that was my first time watching it. Um, oh, okay. But you, so this was from something you recorded some time ago, though. Yeah. And finally, we sat down and watched it. It had been a big weekend. I mean, Christmas. Christmas, everyone at home knows this, Christmases can be a very big, long weekend. And so last night um, at a certain time, I'd gotten sick of writing notes from all the, all the books and all the rest of it. 
and I think you got sick of it too. So we thought, let's sit on the couch like normies and watch uh, a dinosaur documentary. And this one was by David Attenborough, apparently. Sir David. I think it's a sir, it David a Attenborough sir. these days. And uh, basically it was uh, a telling of the story of these scientists in South America somewhere, Argentina. Yep. And they had uh, found some bones. And so the premise of this doc, it is passed off as a documentary, I'm pretty sure. The documentary is that they were going to use all of these fancy new modern techniques to reconstruct the dinosaur and basically put it together as a giant cast from 3D printing modeling in, uh, in a giant you know, sculpture, if you like, of a dinosaur. First time you'd seen it, certainly the first time I'd saw it, seen it. Uh, what was your first impressions? Oh, it's just a masterpiece, mate. So uh, for those for those maybe of my age growing up, um, it's kind of like the Sunday night thing too. There's always the uh, David Attenborough um, documentary on. So it's kind of that uh, that culture that that's what, what that's what that's what you did on a Sunday night is watch the documentary. Um, but yeah, David Attenborough, eighty nine, still getting out there, still uh, pushing the science agenda. Beautiful, beautiful documentary of it. Well, thoroughly researched. Uh, you know. Skip through a lot of facts, which are kind of funny, you know. Um, but uh, there's uh, interesting things, uh, you know, findings of the skin. Um, there were some segues into uh, lizard birds, as you, as you so like to put it. Um, again, pushing that uh, that belief that uh, these things came from birds. Um, the eggs I found interesting. Um, you know, the, the the dinosaurs always went to the same spot to lay the eggs. Um, so very uh, comical parts in there, but you know. Very well put together, I thought, for the uh, for the masses. Well, you've got it up on your computer there. You've got yep. it put to the side of us. Attenborough and the Giant Dinosaur, and that one's been... On the BBC. On the BBC website. And it says there, Sir David Attenborough is, I, pardon me, is 89 years old and still as fiercely passionate about nature as he ever was. This documentary is about the discovery of an absolutely massive dinosaur fossil in Argentina of possibly the largest animal to ever walk the earth. David archaeological dig where the dinosaur has been in the ground for more than 65 million years since the Cretaceous period and works with archaeologists, paleontologists, anatomy makers and animators to create a full reconstruction of the creature. And what I'll do is I'll put a link in the info box below so people can go and check that out if they're interested. The reason why I found, why I personally found this so interesting is because I don't watch documentaries i don't watch normie documentaries anymore about dinosaurs or about nature or any of this nonsense to me it's utterly ridiculous it's so obvious like even even um you know about meerkats or whatever you can tell they're editing it you can tell it's not real there's all these sound effects and really i think the kind of nature documentaries that so-called adults are watching today they're the kind of documentaries that I don't think anyone more than sort of six or seven years old should find interesting. Not, not if they've been properly trained and if they're uh, intelligent. And yet that's what they give to the masses uh, at evening times, prime time. In other words, they're giving, I think, juvenile and childish uh, programming to adults and passing it off as scientific. And that's even with animals that do exist, you can see for yourself. This thing with the dinosaurs was an absolute joke. I'll give you one example, Lucas. One that stood out to me was... They, they supposedly came up with the torso. It was a sauropod, which means a four-foot dinosaur, a four-legged dinosaur. So imagine like a Brachiosaurus. So they came up with a reconstruction of that. They came up with a long neck and a long tail, not based on having all the bones, by the way. There was lots of inferences going on. And then they decide they need to find a head for this dinosaur because they didn't find one out on the site. 
And remember, this is all meant to be real science, by the way. This is meant to be actual science. And so they, uh, Attenborough actually says, you know, I won't try and do his accent. So we, they needed to come up with the shape of the head to make this an accurate representation. But without having found the skull, they needed to turn to science to determine what that skull looks like. And so they went out and tried to find other dinosaurs they thought might fit based on the solitary tooth that they had. And he wasn't being ironic. He wasn't, like, he wasn't or at least he wasn't being obviously ironic. Sometimes I wonder if these people are taking a piss a little bit, mocking the idiots at home who watch this and believe this stuff. But he was saying plainly and clearly, we're going to determine the shape of this creature's head based off one tooth. Yeah. Do you ever think there's like a little bit of a hand waving, like a good magician? Throw a little bit of evidence, then a beautiful animation. Like, here's the tooth. Oh, now we've got the head. And for those who aren't paying close attention, they'll go, oh, well, yeah, they've, they've now got the head. And even if you notice the eggs, they quickly mention, like, oh, these replica eggs. So they, they present it in a way that, hey, look at all these eggs we've found. Oh, replica eggs. Let's move on. So not even how how much of the egg they've found, et cetera, how they've actually modeled it up to be the uh, exact, so to speak, egg. It's just they sh- present it in that fashion. For those who aren't paying attention, this is the evidence we have. Then they put in maybe the subtitle of a replica, whatever, based on this quickly sleight of hand, segue into what they're actually trying to, to push. That's I what. think that's exactly what they were doing. And the power of television is that it's not just sleight of hand visually. They can use sounds as well. So if you look, I can't watch a movie and I can't watch a YouTube video if it's by someone with decent production values and not be focusing on what sound are they using. Mm. You know, it's very easy for someone to go into one of those trances when they're watching stuff on TV. In fact, that's how most people are. Put the average person in front of a television and they might as well be under a trance. They might as well sort of be, you know, watching the, you are very sleepy. That's what happens to people. And if you don't believe me, next time you're watching TV or a movie with someone, don't watch the screen. Just watch them. Watch what happens to them. They just, they're gone, right? But me, I can't not notice the sounds now, now that I know how it's all done. And so I'm watching this documentary thinking they're cutting the, even the, the score or the soundtrack of this documentary constantly, almost like every point they were making, they were reinforcing it with the most appropriate music they could find for the mood that they were trying to elicit. And so whereas with a magician who's trying to do like three-card Monty or whatever, he's kind of just got to work on his hands and what he can show visually, maybe his voice tell a story. They can, use, they can use music, they can use sound effects. Very powerful. And the average human alive today has no defences against it, Lucas, whatsoever. Yeah, exactly right. So even, like I said, at the end where they had the uh, beautiful cinematography, the, the uh, what was it, the angle grinding on some kind of arbitrary metal, oh, yeah. for, even had the skeletons fully erect and uh, taking, what, 70 tonnes of weight or whatever the, the figure was, um, just, you know, uh, guys welding what are they what are they welding what are they cutting and that's uh that's again one thing i found pretty laughable so just purely uh purely made for tv it's, it's not science it's yeah i was glad day. you picked up on that one so we're sitting there watching it and we've gone right through this documentary they've recreated the skeleton based on stuff all but even if you assume what they found was actually 90 million years old but let's just put aside that little elephant in the room based on what they've got still how do they come up with this giant creature so they've finished constructing it in this giant warehouse and then David Attenborough walks in at nighttime for some reason. Apparently, these guys are working in the dead of night, but it's lit. It's a little bit like Jurassic Park. But there's all these sparks going everywhere. It's like, what's going on here? It's yeah. The dinosaur wasn't made of metal. It yeah, was meant like, to be made of some kind of you know 3D polymer or something. Yeah. So it's like, where are the sparks coming from? 
And it seemed pretty obvious to me that what they've done was they've got some guy, in, well, three guys in there with angle grinders, just put up some sheets of metal and said, right, uh, you know, what is it? Ready, uh, action, ready, go, whatever the, the terminology is. Bang. They, they had props of sparks coming. What kind of a... Look, I'm going to watch my language. I'm doing my best to watch my language here. What kind of a simple person do you have to be to see that and not feel like they're insulting your intelligence? Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't even a live show like us. It's like, well, hang on, guys, you're not finished with the set. You're not finished welding. Why don't we just come back tomorrow? Like, uh, yeah. what's, what's the hurry? Uh, Dave, David's 90 years old, boys. We'll just pack it up. We'll oh, see you at 8 o'clock tomorrow. Mate, maybe that's it. David's about to, you know, we've got to, we've got to wrap this one up. So, okay. Oh, uh, well, whatever. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. Eye-opening. So, look, I'm glad that we did watch that because, like I said, I don't watch normie documentaries. I haven't for a long time. And you might say, oh, but you're, you're researching dinosaurs. If I want about any topic, the last thing I do is watch a so-called documentary. I go to the primary source evidence. I go to the scientific papers. I go to what the scientists are saying. I don't need David Attenborough to tell me what the scientists are saying. I can read their papers. Anyone can read their papers. Go and read it for yourself. And in the live chat, someone made the point that that's what David Attenborough does. He just conveys other people's work and he does so in an authoritative fashion. And really, Lucas, that is people like David's job. They're there to make us feel as though, as a lay person, we can understand the science. Even if they haven't actually shown us any science, we walk away feeling smarter. Is that a fair call? Yeah, just do the uh, the slow nods. Yep, yep. yep. Ask a few questions and then... Yeah, don't actually listen to the answer and just segue to the uh, the beautiful 3D animations. Yeah. Was, was it just an animation too? It was like a full-on sculpture. God knows how much money they spent all of this and, uh, and it's passed off as legitimate science. And to use your analogy to mathematics, again, imagine if you presented a paper with a mathematical proof, pardon me, and you had, say, um, out of uh, a 30-line uh, proof, for argument's sake, you'd come up with two or three that did work internally consistently and you just inferred the other 27 lines, how do you reckon that one would go down? Yeah, I think that one would get shut down pretty quickly. I mean, you can make references to other papers. You know, depends on how rigorous you want to go. You can just you know, put in L'Hopital's rule or whatever, but then those are you know, predicated on other proofs that are widely accepted. Like I said, it depends how back you want to go. You actually get taught to go back to you know, how to write a proof for one plus one, and it's pretty hard to do, actually. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's 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 the whole agenda. Is you go back to that core principles. Um, one of the traps is you know, you can't do cyclic reasoning. Um, you've got to make sure that you're not introducing a, a topic that is predicated on the one you're trying to prove. So there's you know, very rigorous uh, steps to go through, and I guess that's what takes you know, these papers a long time to uh, get fully published or get fully cited as proofs. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. And yeah, there's no there's no problem with citing other people's work. That is part of the I guess, academic tradition is to say, this other person has found this. I'm going to use that as a basis for what I'm going to do from here. That wasn't what they were doing with this BBC documentary. They were saying, we've got this bone, we've got that bone, we've got this thing over here that we think is an egg, and from that, let us tell you the story, the magnificent story of how this creature lived 90 million years ago, which to me, once the spell's been broken, and I do understand for a lot of people the spell will never be broken. But once you break that spell and you just look at it for what it is, you think to yourself, how could I have ever been so silly to believe this nonsense? And, of course, the answer is they got me when I was five years old. How was I supposed to know any different? I had teachers telling me and I had what I thought were movies. And, you know, I was, well, I was like when Jurassic Park came out, six, seven years old. So, you know, it's very easy for a child to get roped into this. And, of course, anyone who has studied human psychology knows that 
once a human has been fooled for 15, 20 years, the chances of them unfooling themselves are slim to nil. So in the live chat, someone says, you look angry, JLB. And uh, yeah, that's a fair call. I mean, three or four days with relatively little sleep, making videos for you lovely people at home. Okay, I might come across as a little bit angry, but you know what? When you do enough research, Lucas, and you start to see this for what it is, sometimes, and I'm not perfect, you can fall into the trap of thinking to yourself, what is wrong with these people? Like what? It's You don't have to be that smart to see through this nonsense. Like what? what is wrong with people? And I try not to let myself dwell on that too much. Yeah, yeah, you start to see it a little bit around you. I mean, even, even in other subjects, whatever. It doesn't even have to be, uh, you know, subjects as deep or as interesting as these ones, just, you know, everyday life, you know. Yeah, it's at the whole, uh, the banking system. There's, there's lots of things, but people, their apathy, um, just, you know, blazing naivety to a lot of things, not actually, you know, or even complaining about them, don't actually take the first step to do it, you know. It's easy to complain, but hard to actually get off your ass and do something. So, yeah, don't, don't let it get you down, you know. Just keep... Uh, do what you do, and hopefully some good work will fall out the other side. I think you know, those who try will get be rewarded in, in some way or another. So yeah. yeah, well, look, if I do seem a bit angry, you can blame this guy. I wouldn't have watched that documentary. That's what I'm saying. This is why I try and avoid normie vision. I'll watch a little bit of sport here and there for sure, but in terms of watching a program that's pretending it's good, at least with sport, they're not pretending they're going to teach you anything. You're just sitting there watching entertainment, right? Hopefully the best in the world at a sport that you've played so you kind of feel like you can relate to what they're doing. You can enjoy the spectacle. But when I'm sitting there and I've got people pretending that they're teaching me and I know they're lying, I know they're making stuff up, I know they're deceiving people, I know that they're charlatans, yeah, it can, to an extent, annoy me. And so that's why I normally avoid normal vision, Lucas. And I would recommend you guys do too. If you start seeing through the news, stop watching it. You know, that's what that's what does get me is people who say, oh, who's lying to me? You just seen what they said last night. And I'm like, well, why were you we watching it last night? Yeah, I think the I don't watch the news. Why would you watch the news for? What is I think the quote is those who watch the news are misinformed, those who who don't watch are uninformed. Something like that. Yeah, yeah I think you got around the wrong way, but yeah, that's pretty much it. But you know what I mean? Like, like if if I look I watched that documentary with you last night, it's topical because we're doing this film. But I can tell you this, man, I'm not gonna I'm not about to go back and download the David Attenborough dinosaur uh, back catalogue. To go through and sit through and watch it and find all the yeah. all the problems. You've it's got, completely unnecessary. You've got needed out of uh, thirty minutes of the, you know the time. Was, was that all it was? Thirty minutes. Oh, I think it was thirty or forty-five. I think the whole thing. Oh, oh, it felt like two hours. I, I was like, what is this? I only recorded halfway through. I want to sort of flick on the uh, normal vision. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I guess let's not dwell on that. I think yeah, we probably yeah. I think we got through David Attenborough uh, rant. Uh, you know what's funny about David Attenborough though? How many in the in the live? How's this for you guys in the live chat? Can you tell me? David Attenborough, what his brother does, and for bonus points, well, I'll just give you the answer to the first question. He's an actor. He was an actor. Which film did he act in which is relevant to this conversation? Now, I know you brought this up the other day, um, but the uh, but it escapes me the answer. Okay, yeah, well, uh, because there's a lag with the live chat, they won't get the answer, but I'll give you a hint. 1993. The world has changed, especially the world of paleontology, because computer-generated imagery is used in films, not for the first time, but perhaps to the largest extent up until that point in history, and it's used to create dinosaurs in a blockbuster film made hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office, spawned several sequels. I am, of course, talking about Jurassic Park, and would you believe that the gamekeeper of Jurassic Park, the man who is running the dinosaur oh, island, is none other than David Attenborough's brother, 
Richard Attenborough. See, I always thought it was Colonel Sanders, but uh, it looks just like. It. But um, there, there, there we go. I didn't do the, uh, <laughs> didn't do the research. I'm pretty sure it was Richard Attenborough. Uh, yeah. In the live chat, someone double check that for me so I can uh, revoke that if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure mm. they, uh, they, they're brothers. So you like that very small world. You've got one man pushing dinosaurs to the masses as a fictional character in a film that many people to this day uh, that still informs them. That still is a way that they. I think about dinosaurs, the messages or the ideas that were implanted in their head as children. And it was passed off as being scientific too. They had people like Jack Horner advising them on Jurassic Park in 1993. They helped push the idea of dinosaurs as birds. So imagine that. You've got one brother playing the fictional character who's helping implant ideas of dinosaurs. And then you've got the other brother playing the, uh, the smart guy, the straight guy, the straight talking dude, the man who conveys the real scientist stories about dinosaurs uh, both completely fictional, but one of them passed off as fiction, one of them passed off as non-fiction, and between them, completely warping the minds of potentially millions of people, Lucas. Yeah, got, uh, got all, all bases covered there. Very, all bases covered. It? Divide and conquer? Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, I don't want to say high, Hegelian dialectic, but you've got both sides covered. You've got your non-fiction, you've got your fiction. Some people like this, some people like that. They're both telling the same story, and you've got two brothers involved in it. At least one of them, uh, a knighted, a knighted dude, to serve or whatever. What a world we're living. Now, we need to move on because time is of the essence. So getting back to Lark Quarry then, what I want to do just quickly is screen share something with the audience. While I'm doing that, don't be afraid to read out some questions yeah, from we, the live chat. So let's we see. do have Mototoxin come back saying that Richard Attenborough is his brother. Uh, it says so on Wikipedia. So, you know, the uh, authority. That's good enough for me yeah, for so, today. If Wikipedia says, and then so be it. So, uh, yeah, and then just a few uh, other comments around that comment. So over to, over to you, Johnny. Excellent. Well, that screen share should be coming through. Now, this is the Lark Quarry Dinosaur Trackway. So, again, we're heading out 1,400 kilometres northwest into the heart of Brisbane, and there we will find the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum. We'll, and we've talked about that enough in the last couple of episodes We'll also find, not too far from there, the Lark Quarry Dinosaur Trackways, which is also known as the Dinosaur Stampede National Monument at Lark Quarry Conservation Park, also known just as Lark Quarry or Dinosaur Stampede. So what I want to do over the next five minutes is just go through the official story of Lark Quarry and show you how, even within science, there are still some people who say it's okay to question science. Would you believe in 2016 there are still some people who are officially scientists who do seem to employ, to one degree or another, the scientific method. So Lark Quarry Dinosaur Trackways, the significance of this place is that supposedly this was the inspiration for the 1993 Jurassic Park scene where the birds are flocking like dinosaurs. More on that in a moment. But just quickly, let's go through some photos. These, Lucas, are the images of 60-plus million-year-old dinosaur footprints how do you like that? Yeah, awesome. And this is what we're going to get up and see firsthand. So we get to peer review this. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to it, actually. Hey, look at that. Why wouldn't you want to drive out to the uh, middle of uh, Queensland and have a look at some, you know, 65 million-year-old footprints? I think there's 3,300, uh, if I remember correctly, from 150 different uh, dinosaurs. So, yeah, let's go out and have a look at them. So pretty interested to see them just quietly there. And there is absolutely nothing else they could be besides a dinosaur. You know, those who don't know, there are emus and other kind of fauna out there, but you know, these are 100% dinosaurs. 
And if you uh, watch the David Attenborough film, you can tell that because of the fatty deposits on the back of uh, their ankle, what say you? Yeah, that's the story, isn't it? That's how they know that these uh, these footprints are dinosaur footprints. Because you see, if I come across some footprints in the, in the ground that have been um, sort of permanently placed there, they seem like they've been pretty well uh, sedimented into the ground, whatever the case may be, I think, well, these could be from anything. My first thought isn't to assume they're 70 million years old, Lucas. Generally, my logic is that over time, things degrade. So the first inference, without knowing anything else, would be it's more likely younger than older. That would be my first inference. Then I'd go from there. These people seem to do the opposite. These are dinosaur footprints. Now it's a matter of working out which dinosaurs they might come from. But we'll just go through another couple of the images. What they did was these were discovered a few decades ago. And um, the person who discovered them, again, I think it was a farmer or something like this, just a layperson, gets the experts out there. Hey, what do you know? You've found uh, millions of years old dinosaur footprints. And uh, so they built, they got millions of dollars of funding and they built this big, um, this big site, this big museum-like site where you can pay money and walk around the footprints here at the Lark Quarry. There's some more images of the footprints there. The official story, or at least it was until recently, we'll talk about this in a moment. The official story is that there was a whole herd of dinosaurs. Of course, dinosaurs do evolve. Uh, birds do evolve from dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are bird-like, many of them, as we all know from our, our science classes. And so the idea is that these birds were just hanging out. These dinosaurs were hanging out. A bigger dinosaur came along, scared them, and there was a big stampede. And that is really this place's claim to fame. There you can see some more of the bird footprints there. Here are some interested onlookers. He doesn't seem too interested, but more or less, these people are pretty interested. They've made the trip out to uh, Lark Quarry and to Winton for the dinosaurs, overlooking the dinosaur footprints. And there is quite a crowd. If you could just uh, get, say, 15, 20 bucks from each one of those people, you've had yourself a good little day at the offices. Lucas, what say you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's good how they put the roof on it too because, you know, after 65 million years, heaven, heaven, <laughs> heaven for you, but you don't want a little bit of rain on there to, uh, to wash away the uh, paper mache. But um, apart from that, you know, what two, I guess that's what $2.3 million of uh, government funding will buy you. And I'm sure, you know, as we know, they've got the coffee shop out the back and buy a dinosaur for your kids, keep the economy pumping, but I won't help on. So, yeah, mate, it looks beautiful, hey? What? What more could you want? Probably air conditioned as well, just to make sure those fossils. Look at that! Don't don't um don't blow away after that. You know, that last uh, ten years after being out in the the uh, harsh Queensland sun for sixty five million years. So luckily we put this monument, this uh, this church of uh, church of dinosaurs up there for all the worshippers to come out and see. Multi-million dollar little facility, that one, mm. Lucas, if you don't mind, well, to take care of the dinosaurs. Well, instead of passing around the plate at, can, uh, at the ceremony, we just get the uh, we just get them on the way through. Like, I guess that's one thing with the Catholic Church. They wait to the end of the service. Hey, with this way, you uh, clip the ticket on the way through and then push them out through the, uh, the uh, tourist shop at the back. So, uh, yeah, got this one sorted. Yeah, and so the idea here would be that many people would go to the Age of Australian Dinosaur Museum, which is where they found all these species of dinosaurs or where they ho home them or house them. That's that epicentre. Then you'll also make the trip out to this uh, venue as well. That is what many tourists would do. Certainly that's what we'll be doing. Now, La Quarry, I just want to give you a bit of a background on it further. You've got Richmond, Huendon and Winton. Winton again, Age of Australian Dinosaur Museum then Richmond and Huendale. We're going to take in as much of that as we can on the trip. Here's where it gets really interesting. This is from AustralianDinosaurTrail.com, and it says, quote, Dinosaur Stampede, which is La Quarry, 
is the inspiration behind the stampede scene in Steven Spielberg's movie Jurassic Park, end quote. So they're claiming that that scene that you see in Jurassic Park where the birds are all, um, or the dinosaurs are all running together and then they turn, that was inspired by this stampede. And if I go back and watch that clip, the Sam Neill character, who's like the expert paleontologist, initially he observes the dinosaurs running in a group and he says, look, they're running just like a flock. They're turning just like a flock because part of the Sam Neill character's uh, role in that film is to promote the dinosaur our bird story because 25 years ago, that was still a very, that was still a relatively new thing. Jurassic Park helps put that on the map. Uh, then once the dinosaurs all jump over him and the kids that he's looking after because they almost got run over by all of these dinosaurs, he then again reiterates they're just like birds. He says, you'll never look at a bird the same way again. I think a lot of people don't realise just how profound Jurassic Park was in, in implanting this idea that dinosaurs are birds. For more proof that these are as being the inspiration for that Jurassic Park scene, this is from environment.gov.au. So this is an Australian government department website. And they also make the same claim. But I just clicked off it. I've just done myself a mischief there, haven't I? Why are you finding that? Um, just back on the Jay Park uh, uh, narrative. I always thought the collective noun for dinosaurs were herd. So I guess that's where they've introduced flock in there. So we all kind of make that connection back to birds, not, you know, uh, not, 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 uh, not That's reptiles. a good question. Is the official collective noun for dinosaurs now flock? Is it? I don't know. I'll well, double check that. Well, let's edit it on Wikipedia either way, you know. Yeah, we'll um, check it out. Well, we, can, we can do that pretty, pretty easy. So there you go. So this is further proof. This is passed off as the official story. This is from environment.gov.au. Again, all links in the info box below. Quote, the footprints and their interpretation informed the famous stampede scenes in Steven Spielberg's 1993 blockbuster Jurassic Park and the BBC's award-winning series Walking with Dinosaurs, 1999, end quote. Now, the reason I'm showing these, Lucas, is just to show people this isn't just what's being said by the tour operators at this place. That was the official story as given by the, the broader website for this group of scientific sites, as well as an Australian government department website. I couldn't actually find any primary source evidence that this was the case, that Steven Spielberg ever said this was his inspiration anything like that, or anything like that. Like I'm not saying that isn't the case. I'm just saying I couldn't find any primary source evidence. Yep. But this should be enough for people to see that is at least the official story. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This is an article from The Conversation, which is like a, a conglomerate, I don't know if an agglomerating website. It's where they put a lot of different academics together and I guess well-known public figures and they write articles from time to time and you can comment on them, etc. It's kind of like a quasi-academic website. But this article is actually from an academic and it's entitled No Dinosaur Stampede at Lark Quarry. So what really happened? July 15, 2014. I'm not going to read out the entire article but i'll give you the overview basically another expert another paleontology expert from the university of queensland has come out and said i don't think there was a stampede at lark quarry actually i think your inspiration for the film jurassic park and the only documented evidence in the world of a stampede of dinosaurs i don't think it was a stampede at all i think these were just regular footprints now can you tell us are you gonna let the rabbit out of the hat who was this uh paleontologist that did put this article together well, this was a man by the name of Romilio, I think. I'll see if I can find his uh, name here. Here we go. Stephen Salisbury and Anthony Romilio. So if you remember back to the start of the show when I was talking about the Richmond find, it was Dr. Uh, Stephen Salisbury 
who found the Cannabarosaurus in or released the uh, the papers in 2015. So he has now come out and said that the old casino museum down the road in the middle of the desert, there might be some maybe some porcupines down there. So perhaps some inter <laughs> inter museum rivalry right in the backyard of Queensland. Who would have thought? Yeah, and this is where it gets very interesting, the same thing, about this key part of the Australian dinosaur history narrative. This is someone coming out and saying something very different. It's almost like two little factions, Lucas, of Australian paleontology here in Queensland. Mm, so what do, you think the, uh, what do you think the underlying premise for that is? Would you think it's uh, you know, all rigid ditch or all fair income, as the uh, Australian Dinosaur Museum's uh, values say, uh, fair income integrity, or do you think... Uh, Maybe there's, a, again, a divide-and-conquer strategy. Well, I'm not sure about divide-and-conquer, but is there more to the story? I think we'll be investigating that more over the coming days and weeks. But what was interesting with this particular article was that it was written by one of the two, and I'm using the term factions loosely for, you know, I'm taking some artistic, um, you know, liberty there. One of the two factions has released a paper saying, that's not really a stampede. Uh, no, that's not true. Well, the empire struck back because <laughs> Stephen Poropat then left a comment on, and this is all available publicly, guys, you can see this, Stephen Poropat, one of those uh, experts who we've mentioned previously, one of the people from Linton, he replied with a very long and verbose response saying, nope, I'm still pretty confident that it was, in fact, a stampede, to which our boy Anthony Romilia replied once again and said, well, Stephen, thank you. I appreciate an expert like yourself giving us the hot tip there, but let me tell you why you're wrong again. Well, we often hear the uh, we often hear the uh, the vernacular, and I think this is uh, this is, they are both paid uh, paleontologists shilling. They're definitely both paid, and depending on how you define the term shill, could argue that they're doing that. Here's what I found most interesting about this response. This was from Romilio, the man saying, "No, there was no stampede there at all." He says, "Quote: There are always going to be people who find the Lark Quarry Stampede scenario." highly appealing. In fact, it was the idea of a stampede that attracted me to research the track site as a PhD project. With all those supposedly running dinosaurs, we initially thought that we could learn a lot about dinosaur locomotion and limb kinematics. What I didn't realize was that Lark Quarry was actually going to reveal to us with regard to dinosaur paleobiology and the process of scientific rigor. Which is kind of like a thinly veiled way of saying that if you're being scientifically rigorous, you're not going to believe there was a stampede there, Stephen. That's how I interpreted that little paragraph that he used to end his response to Stephen. Very interesting indeed. Um, yeah, I'd love to get these uh, these guys in a room or, or the pub and have a frothy. Maybe, uh, Let's get them all together in the one room. I think Maybe you and I could just sit back and not have to ask any questions. Oh, we could just be there to record it. Yeah, but, you know, either way, maybe we get one alone and, and talk about the other one. And, you know, we could un- yeah, uncover some. Don't give away too many of our plans <laughs> going forward. All right. So just a couple more things that I wanted to share with people. This one is an article from the BBC. This is from 2013. The Great Dinosaur Stampede That Never Was. And so what this means is that this little academic disagreement has made it into the mainstream. Even the mainstream are talking about, hey, that stampede that we thought, you know, helps prove that dinosaurs, are, they flock and was even used in Jurassic Park, you know, that thing eh, might not have been rigid-ditch, to use that terminology. This is the quick quote from the, uh, from the article. Uh, let's see, here's, they're talking about um, 
Romilio and Salisbury, the two ones who've come out and said it's not true. Quote, their conclusions have sparked a lively debate among paleontologists. Some scientists think that Romilio is onto something, but he's got his critics too. Just simply looking at the footprints isn't enough, says Scott Hucknell, the chief dinosaur expert at Queensland Museum. He says Romilio is confused because he didn't account for how the mud interacted with the dinosaur's feet. When you look at the footprints, they look like big round toes, when in fact, that's the mud being squashed out from below the toes, between the toes, as the animal is slamming its foot into the mud. Inside the museum storage space, Hucknell wheels a mobile spotlight over to a cast of one of the big footprints and lights it up from a low angle to reveal its subtle contours. See this triangular piece, he says? That's the claw mark. There's only one type of animal that makes those sorts of footprints, and that's a meat-eating dinosaur. As for Romelia's argument that the little dinosaurs weren't running but swimming, that's very unlikely, says Hucknell. Underwater, a footprint is mud, just doesn't last. I don't want a poor scientific process to get in the way of an amazing story, he says. If we simply just accept that all of the last 30 years of accepted stampede information, data and work is wrong, and that it's simply a mudabarosaurus wandering through some mud and then a bit of flowing river with some tracks, it really does take the significance out of the site, end quote. Now, I thought that one was worth reading out because there you've got one of the experts involved in promulgating this story and promoting the story that there was a stampede. He's openly stating that if that's not the story, if we were wrong, it takes the significance out of the site, Lucas. Yeah, very, very interesting. And uh, it's a big blow. Um, just to um, looking at the comments, Mototoxin is asking, well, what is, uh, you know, what is the why? Um, and we can't say for why, but for this town, um, which is, you know, 1,400 kilometre or 1,200 kilometre drive from Brisbane, Australia is probably third largest capital city. Um, the town, uh, the official census says there's only 950 people and they've got over $5 million in state and federal funding to create this tourist uh, exposition. So there is a good answer to the why, perhaps, you know, maybe there is a, a little bit of embellishment. Let's get some tourist dollars out here. Like, let's be honest, what are these towns going to do if it wasn't for, uh, you know, a, a bit of uh, tourist funding at $20 a pop to come through this this museum? So, yeah, there is a there is a significant why here. Even if it isn't the dinosaur, like, is this a... a um, and, um, you know, uh, what is the official story in, of, of these dinosaurs, Stampede? That, and that is a perfect interjection because the last article I wanted to share was from the ABC. It's entitled Stampede Site Maybe Dinosaur River Crossing. It's from the ABC here in Australia, our national broadcaster. And they're talking about the possibility that maybe this stampede site is not a stampede site. And they've got a quote. I'll read it out to you now. Winton Mayor Butch Linton says he hopes the new discovery will not affect tourism to the popular site. He believes the river crossing claim will actually make the destination more interesting. There's tracks down there and there's always been views on how they were made, he said, but it will be interesting because of different points of view about how those tracks got there and how they happened, so it's all interesting. And I'll just leave the quote there. So you've also got the Mayor Butch Linton, who is on the board of the Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum, as are many other former mayors and councillors of the Winton Shire. He's saying there that he hopes that if it turns out that this isn't a uh, stampede, he hopes it doesn't uh, stop the tourism numbers from flowing in. And so between the expert scientist saying that he thinks it diminishes the site and the Mayor of Winton saying that he hopes that it doesn't, right there you can see that these people are very cognizant of the fact 
that they depend on these kinds of stories for their tourism dollar, which keeps their local economy going. And just to reiterate what you said earlier to Moto Toxin, who lives in Queensland, last I checked, so he might already be aware of this, there's nothing out there. Yeah. There is so almost no reason to go to this place if not for the dinosaurs. Yeah, so let's just roleplay here. A couple of, even a couple of months ago, you wouldn't even have heard of the town Winton. Um, so, you know, again, if we're going to roleplay here, I'm a... I'm the, uh, the mayor of Winton, sitting around having a frothy with old mate David Elliott. So, hey, you know, uh, this tourist dollar is, is drying up off the Matilda thing. Uh, the millennium the fuck about Matilda um, and the Billabong anymore. What do you, how can we get some dollars out here? How can we keep this town going? If it isn't, you know, for a couple of bucks, uh, let's be honest, what are we going to do? So why don't we just uh, maybe kick our toe on a dinosaur and, uh, yeah, see what, see what shakes out the other side. It could even be more subtle than that because the older I get, the more I see the world works in a fluid way and uh, sometimes a subtle way. It could be as subtle as a local farmer, a third or fourth generation farmer, whatever David Elliot might have been. He knows there's been a couple of dinosaur discoveries in and around Queensland. When he sees a bone while he's out cattle mustering, uh, one of, maybe one of the first things that comes to his mind is maybe that's a dinosaur bone. Maybe that's yeah. my uh, little ticket. He might really believe it. Gets in touch with the Queensland Museum. And uh, if you can find a museum that doesn't want to be involved in a great discovery, I've got a bridge to sell you. So they say, sure, we'll take a look at the bone. They use their magical scientific processes to determined that a bone that was lying on the ground is 60, 70 million years old and must have come from this dinosaur or that dinosaur. Who cares? They head out to old David Elliott's uh, property. He's got tons of these bones just lying around, just a little collection he's been putting together while he's been sheep mustering, whatever the case might be. And uh, next thing you know, some people are connected. They say, hey, why don't we lobby for some government funding? Because we've got all these dinosaurs. We've, we're just a very lucky place. We find meteorites. We find dinosaurs. Waltzing Matilda, Banjo Patterson wrote his song out. We're just very lucky. This is the thing that might bring in some more tourists right now. A whole bunch of people have some vested interest in this and give or take five or ten years. And a lot of hard work, I'm sure David Elliott has put in a lot of hard work into all of this. Next thing you know, you've got a town with uh, lots of tourists coming their way, something like 30,000, the best part of 30,000 tourists per year, bringing their tourism dollars to a little town that can probably use a bit of tourism money. There doesn't even need to necessarily be any kind of grand conspiracy, to use that term. It could be that a whole bunch of people can see a common vested interest in something happening, and between them, they make it happen. Yeah, probably a, a fair fair summation of uh, what's happened. Or they're all in on it, and they're just making some cash, and it's like, hey, a multi-million dollar not-for-profit, and uh, hey, these cycles will never ask any questions. Look what they watch. They watch David Attenborough on TV, and they think that it's real. Who knows what we can tell these people? And uh, they're making some some cold hard cash. Yep, and you can for 150 to 100 bucks you can out there and actually even do uh, even chisel away at them. Yeah, forget the tourists. Too. Also, also possible, Lucas. But I think it's also much more likely that a whole bunch of people. What this and uh, and here we are, ten years later, and unfortunately, it's all come a cropper because you told me, and then next thing you know, we're heading out there, and the good people get to be part of it. Yeah, in a couple of days, uh, memory serves me correct, or the, the math serves me correct. So, yeah, let's uh, let's go out there and see. Let's go see firsthand. Let's go and do an hour, and we try and keep these episodes to one hour. Now, it is today's Wednesday, Lucas. We're planning to take off on Saturday, yep. if memory serves me. I'm not sure if we'll get time to do another one of these shows. Uh, at the moment, I've got a lot more uh, research that I want to do before I'm finished I'm not sure if I'll find the time to set aside the time for the show because it's not just an hour. We do some pre-production, then you've got to upload it separately. It takes several hours to do one of these, so I'm not sure if we will get the time to do another one. What are your thoughts at the moment? 
Well, like I said, I got this week off. Uh, I've got some other um, personal projects to do, but always happy to jump on. Um, yeah, if there's something we discover, if there's something else we want to do, uh, we'll talk about. Um, we also got a bit of work to um, logistics. We've got to uh, you know, make spare. There's a few things we need to do before that. So um, hopefully we can, but yeah, if we can't, so be it. I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, footage from the, the trip we can upload uh, as we go. Excellent. Well, it's up to you, mate. We can either schedule one more episode, maybe for the Friday evening, uh, once we've got everything sorted, or we can talk about the Kanbarasaurus right now. I'll let you make the call on the spot. Uh, well, we can go to the Kanbara right now if you want. So Yeah, why don't you give us the 411 on the Kanbarasaurus? So let's bring up my note. As I mentioned at the start, there was uh, another dinosaur found um, by um, uh, Salisbury, uh, Salisbury, sorry. Um, up at Richmond, like I said, 100 kilometres north, um, discovered, it's just saying here, back in 1989, actually, where it even included st- skin texture and stomach contents. What are the odds of that? Um, so Australia's only uh, Ankylosaurus, and its name was, on the whole, uh, Min Mai, which is one of the, uh, the, the bottom entries of the supporter uh, contribution. So that's where we got that name from. So, yeah, uh, again, uh, a little bit up north from old mate Stephen uh, Salisbury. So I think that's pretty much all I've got on, on the uh, Canberra, if you put me on the spot. Now, where this is interesting is because Salisbury is one of the two, and again, I'll make this one point one more time. I'm just using this term loosely. He's one of the two factions that are involved here. You've got Salisbury and Romilio, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, on one side saying Lark Quarry is uh, not what you thought it was, guys. Sorry about that. They're on one side. Then you've got Porapat and Hucknall on the other side. Well, guess what? Uh, Romilio and Salisbury, they have their own little dinosaur thing going on, not far from the Lark Quarry's site. So a cynical person, Lucas, might suggest that, hey, if you and me are on a team and those two are on a team and we've got a dinosaur museum not too far from theirs, we might get together and release our own little peer-reviewed paper saying those guys, look, it's... What you found was great, guys. It's a great thing, but it's not its not what you thought it was. But, uh, hey, while we're at it, we've got some pretty cool dinosaurs over this way. Why don't you come make a stop up over here? They would then respond by saying, listen here, you young whippersnappers. We know you think you're onto something with your dinosaur, but ours is the first and only stampede of dinosaurs as seen in Jurassic Park. You just don't understand the science. You need to do some more work, boys. You're too wet behind the ears. We're the ones with the coolest dinosaur thing in this part of town, you can see how there might be a little bit of a rivalry there, what we might call a potential conflict of interest. Yeah, no, so I, like, I like to make the analogy to Vegas for those who haven't been, you know, even on the strip, they're all competing for that tourist dollar. Casinos keep popping up and then what they do, they start actually bringing casinos out before Vegas. If you drive from California out to Vegas, just as you hit the Nevada border, lo and behold, there's even these fake car. Uh, fake uh, Vegas's to try and trap the tourist dollar on the way through. So it just feels a little bit uh, feels a little bit like that. Hey, you're out there. Why don't you come out and uh, yeah, spend some of your hard-earned out of our uh, authentic museum. Don't go to the one down the road because if you've read the paper, you can see they're telling some porcupines down the road. Well, you know, in evolutionary biology, there's this notion that many species evolve so that even when the, the males fight, they can only sort of embarrass each other or surface injure each other. They can't kill each other because from an evolutionary perspective, if you and I are fighting over a mate, it doesn't make sense for one of us to kill the other one 
like over time, that's bad for our species. Yeah. It makes more sense that whoever loses can just sort of brush himself off and get on with his life. I think it might be kind of similar in paleontology where it's like, no, you're, look, you've got a great discovery, guys. It's a really good discovery. You should be proud of yourself, but it's just, it's just not what the tourists are going there for. That's what we've got. Not necessarily to completely destroy their story, just to shop of it a little bit. They don't want to go nuclear and start saying, yeah, but you don't, you've never even dated your bones, you idiot. <laughs> they might not be as, they're not going to go down that path. They're going to be a bit more subtle about it. Can you see the analogy that I'm trying to make there? Yeah, 100%. And it, well, yeah, you've made the 14 hour drive out to Winton. Why not just another 100, yeah, 100 kilometers up and see one out there? Yeah, you've already, you've already invested, you're pot committed, so to speak. So why not just uh, come up and uh, run off a, run off another couple of dollars I had at our museum? So beautiful. Excellent stuff. All right, well, I'm glad we got that one in there because it is a big, important part yeah. of the whole narrative. And, look, there are so many parts of this to research that even two or three days before we leave, I'm still uncovering new things that I hadn't found up until this point, not just about the specific species of dinosaurs, the people who found them, the background history, all the rest of it, but even things as simple as, hey, there's a little bit of what you might call some factional infighting going on up there. That's just as interesting as anything else up there. The I mean, that's how the Bone Wars supposedly went down with dinosaurs back in the day. You had Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles Marsh, off the top of my head. How do you like that? Hey? Yeah. Uh, I've been doing my research. Yeah. yeah, you had those two having their Bone Wars. I don't think it will get that bad with these, uh, these boys from University of Queensland and Uppsala University, wherever they're from. I don't think it will get that bad, but it's the same kind of idea. You want to be the top dog in science, especially when there are tourism dollars involved. Will that lead you to do or say things you wouldn't otherwise do? Potentially. That is human nature. And scientists, believe it or not, they're not saints and they're not ordained by God. They are people and people do some funny things. Yeah, excellent. Excellent way to finish the show, I think. Uh, All right. Well, just a quick shout out in the live chat. A couple of people are taking off now. It's getting late where they are. In the live chat, did you see that from Mototoxin? He says, JLB, thank you for being the straw that finally led me to pull my children out of the indoctrination center. From that, I'm inferring he's saying that He's taking his children out of either daycare or school and he is giving me credit for having some some role in it. Maybe I encourage him to think about it more and he did more of his own research to decide that his children don't need, don't need to be there. If I have interpreted that correctly, then um, that is a very, to me, that's a very um, profound thing to, uh, to share. So Mototoxin, uh, hope it's all going well. I would suggest to you that if you're willing to read books and put time in with the children, you can be a much better teacher than the vast majority of people being ticked off by the uh, Department of Education. So you could have just done your children a very good thing indeed. But we do need to wrap it up. Before we do, though, Lucas, you've alluded to it a couple of times. There is a way that people can get involved with all of this if they are so inclined. Yes, uh, good, uh, good shout-out there. So, um, yeah, we are throwing the hat around, so to speak, if people like to make contributions to the journey in the show. Like, like I said on the last shows, it's all... Um, it's all paid for. We're doing it off our own back and off our own money. But if someone would like to get involved, they can. So you can visit you know, johnlebond.com. Uh, follow the links from there. So there are four levels of membership. Uh, one, we've already got some donations in, uh, some contributions, let's just say. So thank you very much for those people. You know who you are. So there's the uh, four levels. Um, you might run them through because you know them better than I do. I know, can't remember the names. But um, starting at the $25, working your way up to the full one of us, Lucas, has worked in sales and the other one hasn't. <laughs> I think the audience is going to work out which one is which in a moment. Yeah, I'm sure they will. So it works like this. If you want to be part of this, you can. The opportunity is there. 
to me, this film has never been done at all. Anything like it. There's many people on the internet who claim that they research things, but their research consists of watching YouTube videos and telling you what they think about them. Most of these people have never had any formal academic training and don't know what the hell they're talking about. And you don't need to have academic training to have an opinion that's worth listening to. But if you're going to talk about academia, it does make a big difference, Lucas. So you have academic training. I have academic training. The people who came up with all those dinosaurs that you see between, uh, just over there, they have academic training. Uh, so what we know is going to be very useful. And unlike most people on YouTube, we're actually heading out there. We're going to go out there and check out the evidence. This has never been done before, and we'll be uploading updates each step along the way on the 1,400-kilometer trip there and back. Many people will say, so what? I don't care. I, don't, I just go on YouTube because it's like free TV to me, and I say that's sweet. But if you're someone who does think that this is actually worthwhile and you'd like to be kept updated every day, you can only not just be part of it, you can even get in the credits of the film. So if you go to johnlebon.com, there's a number of supporter levels, a bit like Indiegogo, Lucas, where you can support, hey, if you give 10 bucks, you get this, if you give 20 bucks, you get that, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the levels are there on johnlebon.com. Just go and check it out under Dino Fraud and then Dino Skeptics Documentary. And basically, you can get your name in the credits, you can get daily updates, shout outs in the promotional video. You can even get yourself a signed copy of the DVD. So in a limited edition DVD print run, because we're printing them ourselves. This is not a professional thing. This is not a formal thing. This is two guys who have said, you know what? Enough of these clowns on YouTube saying that this is true or that's true. What? Let's just go and inspect it for ourselves. We'll be doing that and you can be part of it. And if you think that you're going to get the, uh, the benefits of this documentary, that we will just spend thousands of our dollars to go and get it made and then upload it to YouTube for people like John Watson from last week just to watch and complain and criticize it's not quite going to work like that, Lucas. We'll be making some videos on the trip that I'll upload to my YouTube channel, but if you want an actual copy of the film when it's finished, you will have to pay for it. That is how this is going to work. So rather than terming it like uh, throwing the hat around or whatever, it's like, no, if you want this service, if it's worth it to you, you'll pay the money. I know many people who pay 10 15 bucks to go to the cinemas on a regular basis, and these are people who say that they know that Hollywood are liars. So it's like, okay, you'll pay 10 or 15 bucks to go and see a Hollywood film where they brainwash you, Will you pay that kind of money to see a film of guys doing the opposite? If the answer is yes, you've come to the right place. If the answer is no, stop trying to pretend to me or to anyone that you've actually worked out what's going on or that you think that the system is a bad thing because you're paying money for brainwashing when you won't pay it for the opposite of brainwashing, Lucas. Yeah, you are a smooth salesman. I'll, uh, I'll give you that to say. But, yeah. um, Do you like that one? Very good summation. Hey, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for any contributions. Um, but yeah, it's always always appreciative. But uh, you know, this is also your channel and um, this is my washing the hands. But uh, I'd like to see some more contributions come in, show the support, help this guy out, maybe get him off my couch, get him out of my house. Oh, <laughs> you, I knew something I, like that was coming. I, yeah. Hey, I haven't hit up my family for any money for this film. Yeah. I've, I've done, we're, we're both putting in half, right? I came up with my own half myself. I didn't have to ask mum and dad or my brothers or sisters for, to chip in okay. for a drone, did I? Captive audience, mate. Hey? It's, it's Christmas. This guy did. He was sitting up his family. He's like, what do you reckon? Going to chip in for a drone? Going to chip in for a drone? <laughs> I was like, oh, I, don't, I, this, I didn't put him up to this. This was, yeah. this was his idea. Anyway, it's here in the live chat. You know it locally says, hey, John, relax. Take some mushrooms and experience an ego death. I don't know Unite Locally, but that's what I mean when I say that YouTube is full of people who will never actually do anything mm. productive. That's an example of it. It's like if you think sitting on your couch taking mushrooms is going to show you the truth of the world, fine. Good luck to you. But that's, 
that's why I'm trying to distance myself from YouTube because that's the kind of people it attracts. I'm trying to attract a different kind of people to my audience. And I say that with the greatest of respect. So that's it for episode four. There might not be an episode five before we hit the road. Time will tell. So much research to do, Lucas. Very hard to predict these things. But uh, we've gone through the welcome and the overview, the Winton official story, the itinerary for the road trip. Today we spent some time talking about Lark Quarry. What is science? The little factional infighting that might be going on up in Queensland. I think the four episodes have given a very good overview of what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we hope to achieve. Assuming that we don't get to do another one of these before we hit the road, Lucas, do you have any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, not just live but on delay, before we hit the road, before we see what's really out there in Winton, what are your final thoughts? What uh, would you like to leave the listeners with? Um, that's a very, very good question. Um, well, to me, personally, I'm just coming out there with an open mind. Um, yeah, and like I said, if people want to be part of the journey, then so to speak. But um, I hope people are, find this valuable. Um, if there are any questions, throw them our way. If you want us to you know, find something along the way. But um, yeah, final thoughts. Just, um, you know, I'm up for, you know, not only, not only the, uh, the trip out there, just you know, a good time going out there, seeing a bit of Australia. Um, hopefully we produce something of quality at the other end. That's, that's my only concern that, you know, I'm... You know, try and set a higher standard. Hopefully, we do produce that. You know, something that we're both proud of at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it and looking forward to uh, what we can actually come up with. Excellent. Well, in the live chat, a character named Osculum in Fame says, "What does JLB offer that is distinct from what is freely available?" Well, uh, Osculum in Fame. My email is johnlebon one two three gmail dot com. If you know of anywhere, anywhere on the internet, YouTube or otherwise. You can find somebody who reads the scientific papers, shows you what is said in them, does the background research for you, lays it all out, and then produces content, videos, podcasts, written articles, etc., on the topic of dinosaurs. Just for one example, if you know of anyone who does that for free or even for paid, that would be very useful to me. So please send that through to me, johnlebon123 at gmail.com. If there is anybody who is taking a genuinely sceptical approach to the topic of dinosaurs anywhere on the internet, I would love to hear about it. That could be very useful to me because I'll tell you this, Lucas, if I'm going to sit around on a couch for one hour here or there and watch something, I'm not David Attenborough. I'd rather watch something like this by somebody else who's done what I've done, who's gone to the museums, bought the book, read the book, got another book, started reading the book, researched the names, the dates, the places. I'd love to be able to sit there and watch someone do what I'm doing, but I can't because it does. No, what I'm offering now to many people, that's, I don't care about the research. I just want to watch, you know, people talk about the Boston book. Guys, I'm not saying you have to take this, you have to care about this as much as me. I don't expect anyone would. But some people out there do care about genuine skepticism and genuine research, and they care about this film. Some people have already started contributing. So some some people do, some people don't. If you're one of the people who wants to sit there and listen to people carrying about the Boston bombings for another five years or the latest fake news event or whatever, Go for it. But like I said, we're out of time, so we should probably wrap this up. I've been putting up with these people for two years. Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've been putting up with that kind of nonsense for two years now. There, yeah, are, right. there are lots of retards on YouTube, Lucas. I've avoided using that word all day, but I'll use it. If you don't see the value in what we're doing, that's fine. But if you're claiming that this is that anyone's done anything like this and you've got no evidence to back it up, then to me, yes, there is a genuine uh, disconnect going on up there in the old cranium. But enough about all of that. 
that, mate, it's been a very pleasurable four episodes coming to everybody here from the Chateau Lucas. It uh, has been terrific uh, hospitality, right. I have to say. He's even cooked some food, some pizza last night. That was great. And I've enjoyed my time here. So if we don't get to get back in front of the camera before we get on the road, then no problems. If you are a member of johnthebond.com or you've signed up as a contributor to the film, you'll be getting daily updates while we're on the road. I'm looking forward to uh, to be it for Dynaskeptics Live, at least until we get back. So uh, with all that said, thank you very much, Lucas. It's been a pleasure to work with you on camera with these shows. To all the listeners, hope you've enjoyed it and you'll be hearing from us sometime soon when we're on the road for this Dynaskeptics trip. So on the 28th of December, 2016, JLB signing off. I've got Lucas with me. Until next time, you guys guys take take care care of yourselves. (laughs) 